All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. It's been a great week. We're, we're finishing up uh, a full week of <laughs> Ezekiel's messages that are pretty much of judgment. Figure it out or it's not going to be pretty. And when I say figure it out, what he's implying is, is, could you learn from the past, please? Repent and turn from these idols. Turn from this false worship, this spiritual adultery that you're participating in. And then and then turn to the Lord, please. And so here you have Ezekiel. Like, he is not mincing words. He's so forward. He's so direct. And yet sometimes when I read Ezekiel, here we are going through Ezekiel 24, 25, and 26 today. We'll see. Uh, I kind of want to just, and I like what John MacArthur did something. He, he created this chart that walk through the life of Ezekiel. Because I think one of the hardest things about Ezekiel is to figure out the timing of all of this. As of right now, okay, they have not received word that Jerusalem has fallen. Okay, but Kevin, it has. Okay, <laughs> from what we understand, it probably has. If not, it really is close to that. Because tomorrow, uh, really, actually, um, at the end of today, <laughs> at the end of today, it will. So when I say it has it, like we're, we're right here and so in the time frame of Ezekiel in his life, I come and I'll walk through. We have the Kings and the Prophets chart here. Uh, I'm going to walk through. This is going to sound drastic and it might be a lot of the lesson today. But I want to walk through the life of Ezekiel and the timing of everything as he released things, as he walked out his calling. And then what does all that look like? And so I'm going to it's going to look like it's all over the board. I practiced doing this today to see if I could do this. It still doesn't mean you'll be able to read my writing, but we're going to try. Okay, so number one, again, this comes from the life and times of Ezekiel from John MacArthur. But think about this way. Ezekiel, okay, in in 2 Kings 23, Ezekiel grew up, okay, he grew up during during the time of King Josiah. And that would have been roughly 621 to 622 BC. So here you have King Josiah. Now, look, I know we have Ezekiel over here. Okay, this is when he started his ministry. We'll get to that. So 593 would have been when he started his ministry. But the thought is, is that during King Josiah, now, again, this timing, everybody's going to have a little bit of a different time frame. Okay, the thought is, is though, that he would have grown up during the time frame of Josiah. Now, in this process, okay, in this process, uh, Nineveh falls to the Babylonians. Okay, so Nineveh falls to the Babylonians, and this would have been roughly 612 B.C., uh, ending, Kevin, here's what's kind of important about this, it would have ended the Assyrian Empire. Okay, and then I kind of have these little arrows. I know I already have numbers here, but then we're going to go over here again, and Josiah is killed, okay, in battle, okay, in 609 in 609 BC. So this is kind of the backdrop. This is the environment that you're going to have. So here you have timings and timings. Now in this process, we're going to go just a little bit farther here on number four, the Babylonians. Kevin, do you remember the big battle? Big battle that we talked about. Uh, it was Egypt. And yep. At Carchemish. Yeah, you got it. They defeated the Egyptians. Man, Kevin, 
Way to go. In fierce <laughs> combat. And it is at the Battle of Carchemish. Roughly in, well, most people would say 605 B.C. Okay, so again, here is this language that we have. So Ezekiel right now, okay, that we only have our timing of him is all the way up here. All right. So Ezekiel grows up. Nineveh falls to Babylon. Uh, Babylon is kind of becoming the new up and coming. Josiah is killed in a battle. Okay. 609. The Babylonians defeat the Egyptians in the battle of Carchemish. Okay. Now I'm going to go all the way up to the top here. Okay. In number five. Okay. And now we're going to get into 18 year old Jehoiakim. Okay. Do you guys remember who does he surrender to? King of Babylon. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. So King of Babylon. I'm just going to put that right there. Just make it shorter. And he is taken into exile. Probably some people would say uh, Ezekiel would have joined him in this process. Okay. Some would say it just give you an image of of where we're at. So here's the timing of all of this. Okay. 599 to 597 B.C. Okay, so Kevin, in this time frame, here you have King Jehoiakim, okay? So we're now moving over into this time frame. They're not in any form of captivity as far as uh, the final one, okay? So at this point, you've had how many, Kevin? This would have been the second. This is the second one, okay? This would be the second, and I, I think that's important to understand. This would be the second yeah, wave, and that's where Ezekiel would have been in that time frame. Okay, the first wave would have been the Daniel time frame that he would have been earlier. So Ezekiel grows up in Josiah, goes through this whole process. Babylon defeats uh, the Egyptians. 18-year-old king uh, surrenders himself to King Neb, as Rich refers to. Probably Ezekiel enters into this picture during 599, 597 B.C. You can find this, okay, in 2 Kings 24, 12. Okay, Zedekiah is now the new guy. Remember, why does Ezekiel always call Zedekiah the prince? Because in his mind, King Jehoiakim is still king, which makes sense. So when you have this image here of they're going into exile, well, it doesn't mean it's completely done yet, right? That's kind of the thought process in this. So anyway, to kind of keep moving along in this, uh, let's keep going to number six here, okay? I'm going to move it over here. You'll see why in a little bit. 30-year-old Ezekiel. Remember, he's appointed to be a prophet, right? On the plains of Babylon in 593 B.C. And Kevin, we've talked about this, and this comes from Ezekiel 1, 3, I think, I believe. Ezekiel 1, 3. Yep, so he becomes a prophet and a priest in this time frame. So, hence, why you see 593 right here, this is the year that his calling started, possibly as a 30-year-old man, Okay. Okay, I'm going to do this crazy little, I did this at home. There's my arrow, all right? So you've got this, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, the arrows keep coming, all right? So hang on here. Now, he's been appointed, okay? Kevin, he is where right now, at this point? He is by the Kabar Canal yep. in Babylon. So far, Jerusalem has not been destroyed. We just talked about this, okay? The two, uh, you know, immoral sisters. You talk about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They still hadn't, uh, the northern kingdom had fallen, but the southern kingdom have not fully fallen yet. We're going to get to that, but again, you have to understand that the context of where we're going. Now, let's go to number seven, if we can. Okay, number seven. 
is Ezekiel has a vision. Okay, Ezekiel has a vision, and this is in Ezekiel 8, of all of the idolatries of the idols. Okay, that's what I mean. All of a sudden, he has a vision of all of the idols found at Jerusalem. Roughly in 592 B.C., also known as Ezekiel 8. Okay, so now here you guys see our timeline here. The progression 622, <clears throat> moving forward to 593. Now we're in 592. Okay, so Ezekiel in exile has a vision. Jerusalem, all of these things have been happening to Jerusalem. All of these idols that they're bringing on themselves. Now, here's where we get to today is number eight is the final siege of Jerusalem is it begins on this day and Ezekiel's wife yes he's married we'll get to that today dies okay and that comes from Ezekiel 24 1 through 18 okay so this is the final siege of Jerusalem now let me see here's what we're going to try to do I'm going to hold off on this graphic okay I'm going to come back because I still have Kevin you got to remind me of this I got to come back okay because I still have three more closing points uh, of this. Okay, so three more. So this is where we're at. You have a parable of a boiling pot. Remember how we talked about how he has all these parables and he has these action sermons. This image from Ezekiel 24 is pretty powerful. It says this in verse one. The word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month. Okay, son of man, I want you to write this down. Today's date, this very date. Okay, you guys ready for the date? Okay. The very date is this, January 15th, 588 BC. So now we're very specific. This begins on this day. This is what is going to happen. The king of Babylon has laid siege, King Nebuchadnezzar, okay, who already has King Jehoiakim. Uh, then he had the exiles already. He's already, I mean, he's taking over. King of Babylon has laid siege to the Jerus- to Jerusalem this very day. Now, what's interesting is during the years of exile, okay, that these guys are in. When I say the years of exile, we're talking about um, all of the exiles, the ten thousand, uh, Ezekiel. I was trying to think of some other folks. Daniel. Daniel, yeah. During this, they would have observed four fasts during these exiles. Okay. Why? To remember, okay, now this is really interesting, to remember all the painful events of the destruction of Jerusalem. So there's these fasts that are gonna, you're going to learn more about in Zechariah. We haven't got there yet. Zechariah 7 and Zechariah 8. So here's the point. Jerusalem is now going to have, there's laying siege to Jerusalem. Verse 3. Now speak a parable to this rebellious house. Tell them. This is what the Lord God says. Put the pot on the fire. Put it on. And then pour water into it. Okay, so you got a fire pit. And just so you know, because I think this is probably one of the cooler images. Okay, because we haven't had any fun drawings yet, you guys, today. Okay, there you have fire. Forgot the blue. Oh, yeah, the inner flame. All right, there it is. All right, so there's your fire pot. Here's what I want you to do. Put uh, the pot on the fire, put it on, and then put water in it. Place the pieces of meat in it. Every good piece, thigh, shoulder, fill it with choice bones. Then in verse uh, five, it says, take the choicest of the flock, also pile up the fuel under it, bring it to a boil and cook the bones in it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the city of bloodshed and, and the pot that is rust inside it. 
and whose rust will not come off, empty it piece by piece. Lots should not be cast for its contents. For the blood she shed, for the blood she shed, say that really fast. For the blood she shed is in her midst. She put it out on the bare rock. I just have to do it. Peter picked a pick of peppers. That's what you should feel like. You're saying for the blood she said she shed is in her midst. She put it on the bare rock. She didn't pour it on the ground to cover it with the dust. That's the problem right there. First of all. OK, if you go back, it says she poured it on the bare rock. She didn't pour it on the ground to cover it with dust. Um, I, and I didn't know this at the point when blood was not covered with dust. John MacArthur said the law was violated. In Leviticus 17, 13, when blood was not covered with dust, the law was violated. So God's vengeance, this is interesting, okay? Um, I mean, this is, there's exposure. The city's blood, which is a symbol of sin, was blatantly open, not hidden, as depicted by the uh, t- blood on the top of the rocks. So God's vengeance, MacArthur says, would come with the Babylonian army, okay? So basically, it's all going to be exco- exposed. In order to stir up wrath and take vengeance, I have put her blood on the bare rock so that it would not be covered. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the city of bloodshed. And I'm just going to keep saying that's exposed. I myself will make the pile of kindling large. Pile on the logs and kindle the fire. Cook the meat well and mix in the spices. Let the bones be burned. This is a pretty graphic image, you guys. Uh, I want the Babylonian army to come in and kill them all. I want the Babylonian army to come in and, oh, by the way, my favorite, the best of the best. I mean, that's what they're saying here, you guys. This choicest meat, the cuts of meat. I want you to put everything in here because, by the way, it's all going to be destroyed. And here's the graphic part in verse 11. So the empty pot on it, set the empty pot on its coals so that it becomes hot and its copper glows. Then its impurity will melt inside it. Its rust will be consumed. In other words, like after everything is burned up, all the pieces are burned up. Then the pot was heated empty. And then what does this do? This then follows through to destroy the city, the temple with all of its residue. Like I'm not going to leave anything left, any impurities. Everything is burned. Everything is burned. People, buildings, temple, it's gone. Everything. It's like God goes out of his way to make sure I've got it all covered. It's almost like in Leviticus 14. If you'll go there, Kevin, Leviticus 14, 34 and 35. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible image, actually, of what he's after here. It says, when you enter the land of Canaan that I'm giving you as a possession, and I place a mildew contamination in a house in the land you possess. Look what happens. The owner of the house is to come and tell the priest something like mildew contamination has appeared in my house. And so there, there's you have to treat it. So what do you do? The priest must order to clear the house to enter the contamination so that nothing in the house becomes unclean. Afterward, the priest will come to examine the house. So in order to clean up Jerusalem, I got to get rid of it all. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the place. It's my own home. I mean, this is the Lord's heavenly presence. This is my own home. And I'm sick of it because of all the impurities that you have brought on. The exiles have brought on. And all of this life of Ezekiel, growing up under King Josiah, Nineveh falls to Babylon. Josiah is killed. The Babylonians win, you know, uh, at the Battle of Carchemish. And so you see this progression of, you know, Jehoiakim taking into surrender. Like, I'm going through this because God has equipped Ezekiel to go through all of these experiences. He's seen the vision of the adulteries, right? To now, he's now beginning to show God saying, I'm done and I'm cleaning it up. Ezekiel has seen so much. He's a 30-year-old releasing the most 
unbelievably graphic word. He releases this and he says, everything is going to be wiped. In verse 12, he says, it has frustrated every effort. Its thick rust will not come off into the fire with its rust. Because of the indecency of your uncleanliness, uncleanliness, since I tried to purify you, but you would not be purified from your uncleanness. You will not be pure again until I have satisfied my wrath on you. I, Yahweh, have spoken. It's coming and I will do it. I'm going to burn all of Jerusalem. I will not refrain. I will not show pity. And I will not relent. I will judge you according to your ways and deeds. Why? Because not based on your fathers, not based on your grandfathers, but yours, your ways, your deeds. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And so to me, when you're at point eight of Ezekiel's life, like he's clearly releasing with confidence the word of God. He's not mincing words. In fact, he says, by the way, it's all going to burn up and it's going to be destroyed and he's going to clean it up. Like all of this, the impurities are gone. He continues on like this is the incredible picture that he portrays. And so here's the burning pot image. Now, here's where it gets interesting is is that now there's another picture in verse 15. Then the word of the Lord came to me. End of the boiling pot image. Okay, verse 15 and on in 16, it says, Son of man, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, The delight of your eyes, uh, he's describing his wife. That a delight of your eyes I'm going to take away from you. You must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Your best friend, you can't lament over, you can't weep, you can't cry over. Groan quietly. In other words, don't let anybody know. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Like, don't go through the progression of a funeral. Put on your turban and strap your sandals on your feet. Don't cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. In other words, don't go through the process of mourning and grieving. Because in verse 18, I spoke to the people in the morning and my wife died in the evening. Do not go through this process of mourning and grieving. If you do, groan quietly. Don't let anybody know. The next next morning I did just as I was commanded. His wife dies in Ezekiel 24. He delivers the harshest word. In my mind, you know what I would think? God, what in the world? I just delivered the harshest word and now you just killed my wife. Now, not only are you going to, you're taking away the Jerusalem, but now you're taking away my best friend. In Abraham, it's interesting when you think about prophets just as a, as a picture. Uh, Abraham, uh, I think this is interesting. Um, he lied twice about his wife. If you guys remember that in Genesis 20, Moses, uh, some people didn't really think he picked the best wife. Kind of an interesting thought. Isaiah, uh, his wife was a prophetess. Jeremiah, he had no wife. And Hosea had a wife that was a prostitute. <laughs> Uh, it was all kinds of uh, an array of wives from the prophets and in, in Ezekiel's life. Um, this is where his wife dies. And the whole point of this whole picture, you guys, was just as Ezekiel was not to mourn over the death of his wife, John MacArthur says, so Israel was not to mourn the death of her families. And that's what you're going to see here, if you guys would. Would you go to verse 19 and on, Kevin? Then the prophet asked, then the people asked me, he's talking to Ezekiel, won't you tell us these things uh, you're doing mean for us? So I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power. And look at the image, the delight of your eyes. So he takes away his wife to show I'm taking away the delight of your eyes, the temple and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind, the ones that are there, they're going to fall by the sword. Then you'll do just as I have done. You will not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Scripture continues. 
says, Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and will groan to one another. Now, Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You'll do everything that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord God. Son of man, know that on the day that I take their stronghold from them, their pride and joy, their delight of their eyes, and the longing of their hearts, as well as their sons and daughters, on that day, a fugitive will come and report the news. And so, in other words, here's, here's what happens. Uh, let's go there if we can. The, the news is this, you guys, and I, I'm just going to put this here. Because uh, we said January 15th, right, Kevin? He wrote this down. On January uh, 8th, 585 B.C., he received word. And the report was this. On that day, the fugitive will come and he will report that the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. So, Kevin, on 588 B.C., he writes this down. So what you have to have is this image of 18 months later, uh, like during this period of time, right? It all unfolds. And here's what's crazy. On January 8th, of, let me just say this one more time. January 8th of 585 B.C., he receives the report that in 586, let me write that because I didn't write that down, destroyed the temple. So in 586 B.C. it happens, and then January 8th of 585 B.C. In 585 B.C. they actually found out it had happened. On that day, listen to this, when you get the report, look at this, when you get the report that this fugitive, those that guy that escaped from Jerusalem, okay, somebody that escaped the destruction of Jerusalem, he came to Ezekiel, he came to Babylon, and he tells him the story. When you find out this story on that day, your mouth will be open to talk with him. You'll speak and will no longer be mute. So you'll be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. And then it says this, um, that's it actually on verse 27. I was going to go to the next point. So let me kind of walk through this. Okay, there's a process here that he could uh, not really speak much. We're going to get to Ezekiel 33, 21. There was a period, you guys, of two years, you guys, that he couldn't talk. Do you know this? It's kind of interesting. What do you got, Kevin? I just, I was going to ask, when did he, so he's writing all this stuff down, but he's not able to tell. Yeah, can you go to Ezekiel 33, 21? Uh, there is no reason, you guys. Uh, it's interesting. It says, look, in the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month, on the 5th day, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and reported the city has been taken. Jeremiah alludes to this in Jeremiah 52. So for a period of two years, okay, period of two years, he wasn't allowed to talk. And then finally, you'll be open to talk. And then why, why is there no need to preach? Well, because they're experiencing the judgment already. Does that make sense? Like he doesn't have to communicate any judgment because that's all he's been doing all of his life. <laughs> They've already experienced it. Now, he does speak of other nations. You get into that a little bit. But the reality is that there is silence that takes place. So your point A is the final siege of Jerusalem begins. Ezekiel 24, here's the, the boiling pot. That's when it begins to take place. And then in January, uh, I'm sorry, in 586 BC, the temple is destroyed. But he doesn't find out about it until January 8th of 585 BC. I got a couple more points here that I want to get to. If I, I don't know how I'm going to fit room in here. But number nine is that there is a prophecy. If you go to Ezekiel 30, 20 through 26, we'll get to that later. But you're going to see this prophecy of Pharaoh's okay, broken arm, which takes place in 587 B.C. Okay, so here we go again. Ready? 
Okay, that makes sense. Now let's keep going here. So, I mean, there's a prophetic word, Ezekiel 30. Uh, it's really 20 through 26. Uh, it, we can read a little bit of it. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I've broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Look, it has not been bandaged. No medicine has been applied. No splint put out the bandage so that it can grow strong enough to handle a sword. Continues on. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I'm, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I'll break his arm, both the strong one and the one already broken, and will make the sword fall from his hand. Verse 23, and then it says, I'll disperse the Egyptians among the nations. I'll scatter them among the countries. Remember the judgment that we talked about with the Egyptians that we've heard from Isaiah and Jeremiah? I'll strengthen the arms of Babylon's king and place my sword in his hand, but I'll break the arms of Pharaoh and he will groan before him as a a mortally wounded man. Okay, 25 and 26 as well. I'm going to strengthen the arms of Babylon's king, but Pharaoh's arms will fall. So basically the prophetic word is what, Kevin, is going to happen to Babylon. Babylon's going to take over Egypt. Babylon's taking over Egypt. And that's what you see over and over again, which if that's in 587, you guys, and that's what we're alluding to, because now remember, the final siege of Jerusalem began in January 15th, 588 BC. So the natural progression would be in this process of Babylon taking over Egypt. I know we jumped ahead with the 586 BC, but my point is, is that uh, Babylon's coming in. And what do you think is going to continue to take over all of the powers? You have to think they're laying siege to a city and taking over all of the nations. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Great point. You have Ezekiel's vision. This is a cool one of New Jerusalem. Okay. And the temple. And this takes place, you guys, in 573 B.C. After. Okay. And then we're going to get to it, but it's going to take place. In Ezekiel, and man, I'm telling you guys, these are one of the best images in all of Scripture. Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's, it's, it's what we're going to get to with Mindy in this painting. The river, the water, the flowing water, it's an unbelievable picture. And so here you have it, okay, Ezekiel. So remember this, yes, he talks about the boiling pot. I get all that. Yes, he talks about destructions coming to Jerusalem. Yes, he actually ends up hearing later on. Yes, in 585 B.C., he hears later on about the report. But in the process, uh, he prophesies about Babylon taking over. But praise the Lord, he paints a picture to all of the exiles. Hey, guys, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. There's going to be a new temple. And then in all of this, just one more time frame, he then prophesies. Okay, this is kind of a kind of a a little bit different, but this is your time frame here. He there's a prophecy about Nebuchadnezzar's victory. I should write that. Prophecy of Neb. (laughs) Victory uh, after, and this is kind of a biggie, over Tyre and Egypt. And this actually takes place in 571 BC. And I don't know if you guys remember, we had this conversation, but Ezekiel 29, uh, it's going to feel random, but this is the process and the time frame that you have. So remember Ezekiel 29, I said that there's going to be one chapter that's just going to be like, (laughs) it's a prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's victory over Tyre and Egypt on 571 BC. This is the life of Ezekiel. And this is what he portrays. This is what he walks through. And in today, what you find is specifically that we talked about today is that we talked about this one. Okay, we talked about Ezekiel 24, 1 through 18. He prophesies about the boiling pot and it happens. Okay, that's really what it is. From 18 months on, the process is beginning. What's crazy is as he prophesies about it, he doesn't, he, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it until 585 
B.C. So from January 15th of 588 all the way to January 8th of 585. He had to wait a long time, three years almost, three years almost, to know that it all took place. It was an 18-month period, but he didn't find out about it until later. His job was simply to be obedient. So what do you have? You have what we would call the life of an obedient prophet and priest named Ezekiel. Okay, guys, hopefully this helps kind of put a lot of things together. Hopefully this uh, doesn't confuse you with all of this, but hopefully you can begin to see the flow of how God uses a person. God uses one individual to prepare a whole nation, not just for one time of coming out of exile, but honestly for preparation for the coming Messiah, the new David, and his name is Jesus. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.